is a disaster, a podcast about disasters and the music they make us listen to. No, I'm going to do a different one this time. Okay. I'm going to say this is a disaster. All right. And I'm probably just going to keep all of this because <laughs> I'm, I'm in it now. <laughs> this, this is a disaster. Yeah. I'm your host, Peter, and I'm here with my co-host, Lee. Hi, I'm your and co-host, Lee. No. Sorry, I tried something different too. Fuck. Oh boy, this is coming off the rails. We're and we going, haven't even started. Uh, we're going real good. <laughs> Jesus. I'm your host Peter, and I'm here with my co-host Lee. Hi. I paused. <laughs> Fuck that time. I, I gave you a ton of <laughs> Jesus Christ. I'm, I should keep all this just to, yeah. so people get a peek behind the curtain of what it's really this is like. What we're really like. I get home. There's so much crap that ends up on the editing floor. And you're joining us for a <laughs> tragedy Tuesday. All right. right. Mini episodes about tragedies that usually aren't so many, and sometimes they're not actually tragedies. They're just things that are kind of interesting, like today. Oh. But I'll get to that in a second. <laughs> a little qualifier it's, there. Well, you'll see that it's connected. If you're into our podcast and you dig the stuff that we've talked about, I promise you, you're going to dig this. All right. But it's not, strictly speaking, a disaster. <laughs> so we'll see. It's sick somehow. Uh, yeah. Okay. Funny you should... Anyway. Okay. Before we get started, a little bit of housekeeping like I always do. If you want to help us out, the best thing you can do is tell someone to listen. I have been saying friend, but just anyone. Just say anyone. Now we're reaching out to... Those of you who maybe yeah. have no friends. Yeah. If you don't have any friends, use this as an opportunity to make some friends. Exactly. People love podcasts. You know, it's a great icebreaker. I've been listening to this great podcast called This is a Disaster about disaster. You, me, I've been listening to a podcast too. You like podcasts? Yeah, there you go. Now you, hey, now you got a friend. Friends. And you've helped us spread the news. Next best thing you can do is subscribe wherever you listen and leave a review. And you can also follow us on social medias at This Disaster Pod, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And our website, www.thisdisasterpod.com. And our mm-hmm. Patreon.com. Slash this disaster pod. Before we get to the disaster, we got some more listener feedback. Yes. Slash request. All right. So this time it's from our contact form on our website at uh, thisdisasterpod.com. You oh. just heard me talk about that. But we have a contact there. So if you want to send us an email, just go there, fill it out, click send, and then we'll we'll get it and get back to you. Oh, yeah. There you go. This time it was from hey. Onion. They wrote to ask if we're considering doing an episode about possibly the greatest ongoing disaster of all, climate change. Oh, and, uh, are we? Well, he so they work in uh, they work in sustainable energy in their home country, uh-huh. and they didn't actually mention where they're from, but I believe they mentioned the Middle East. Okay. So it's pretty cool to know that we have listeners there. So. That's amazing. Hey, Middle East, what's up? So, so he wrote to ask if we're gonna, if we're planning on doing an episode about climate change, and you'll be happy to hear that Nuclear Norm is working on it at this very moment. Yes, sir. You probably heard that we had some strong thoughts about the role that nuclear should be playing in stemming the climate crisis. Uh huh. But having talked about all that, we talked with Nuclear Norm, and he has a lot more thoughts about climate change. It turns mm. out. Yeah. So he's deep in the books and in the internets <laughs> and in the note takings. And sooner rather than later, we'll have an episode about that. Yeah, we've been talking about this for a while. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, I was, you just reminded me, yep. I was watching, uh, I was going, I was down a YouTube uh, rabbit hole. We've all been there. We've all been there. <laughs> you know exactly what I mean. Yep. And uh, people who listen to this show by, uh, know by now that Skinny Puppy is a favorite band of mine. Yep. I was watching interviews with the singer, a recent interview, and he was just uh, disparaging uh, nuclear energy as really? one of the dirtiest forms of energy. and. <laughs> That it's... uh, uh, That's surprising. Well, it's not really because it just goes to show you should never take advice from celebrities (laughs) and and entertainers and musicians on anything other than, I don't know, (laughs) just... Acting better. Set your sights a little higher when looking for information on these, you know... a good point. In-depth... topics you know i i do have to i agree like i admire people you know maybe using the voice they've been given through their talents yeah but i totally agree that when you hear a celebrity or a not 
not a, doesn't have to be a celebrity. When you whenever you hear a non-expert mm-hmm. talk about something that they really don't have any qualification talking about, yeah, use that motivation to do your own research. Yeah. If someone Pull says many different sources, <clears throat> I hope that after listening, for example, if you listen to our Chernobyl and Three Mile Island episodes, I hope. It would be great if somebody came in thinking one thing about nuclear and came out thinking something else. Mm -hmm. Know what I mean? Mm -hmm. At the very least, coming in being undecided and coming out realizing that modern nuclear is the safest, cleanest, most efficient way of generating power. Uh, Don't take my word for it. Or, (laughs) well, don't take my current word for it. Take my word for it in the four hours of Chernobyl-related podcast that we recorded back in... Take that word for it. Take that word for it. Still my word. Well, that's more nuclear norm. You and Norm. Yeah. Pretty, Pretty solid words. Yeah. Pretty solid word collection. So all that to say... Check out those nuclear episodes we did, Chernobyl Part 1 and 2 and Three yeah. Mile Island. And don't forget the episode we did with Gary about the mental health fallout of Chernobyl. Yeah. And then keep those in mind as in the next, uh, I don't know where he is in it, but the next month or two, I'd say, there'll be an episode, at least, at least over the summer, there'll be an episode about climate change. Oh, yeah. We'll so, dive into that. That's been on the books for a while. Yeah. Keep an ear out. Yeah. So thanks for getting in touch. And if you want to get in touch with other feedback, uh, we'll probably read it out, good or bad. Chances are. Yeah. Actually, bad would be fun. That'd be great. Yeah. Let's have it. Just like that uh, comment Norm left us. Yeah, yeah. That was nice, Norm. That was nice. Thanks. On to the disaster. Yeah. (laughs) It turns out there are a lot of ways to keep you from becoming a corpse in the event of cardiac arrest. That's good news. Yeah, sure is. In 1946, Dr. James Elam, then working as an anesthesiologist, began his dramatic foray into assisted ventilation. So he was walking through the hospital hallways when a lifeless newborn rolled by him on a gurney. I'm assuming... He was being pushed by on a gurney. Oh, <laughs> Not <creepy>. just, <laughs> just the gurney rolled itself with a lifeless newborn on it. I mean, that's what I thought. Or the newborn like ran and jumped on the gurney and then passed out and the gurney kept sliding. <laughs> a lot of ways Less this could have happened. But the way that it did happen is it was being pushed Probably by Probably being pushed by an orderly or something. So remembering a chapter he had read about the history of mouth-to-mouth resuscitation the night before, Elam grabbed the child, wiped the mucus from its mouth and nose and began to blow air into the newborn's nose. <laughs> Right? Take a shot, I guess. Just happen. What's the worst that can happen? I guess. And he had had also been reading a book for fun, I'm assuming, about mouth-to-mouth resuscitation the night before. Which was pretty brand new at the time. Uh, No. Like, this is like a pretty... Well, we'll get... I think we'll we'll get get into a little bit of the history. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So he ended up saving the child, and he also kindled his passion for mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. (laughs) Yeah. How did... This was 1946. The child went by on the gurney. Yeah. He says, is that kid dead? Yeah. (laughs) And the guy said, I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> I guess he's, we'll see about that. Yeah. Grabs it. Yep. Blows into its Blows nose. it up like a balloon yep. and boom. Basically inflated the lungs. Breath baby life. started crying. Good to go. Hero. Right? Oh my gosh. You can, you can dine out on that oh, for the hey, rest of your, your life. Mom, yeah. Here's your kid. Yeah. You got a kid again, by the way. Here's your kid. Yeah. You thought your kid was dead. He's not dead. He's alive. I saved him. Yeah. Or her. I yeah. do things like that. I'm a doctor. <laughs> no big deal. No big deal. At this point, 1946, also fought in the war. So. Sure. You know. Saving lives. Yep. Left any, any, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> One yep. way or the other. I complained because I had to go back to my car to get my cell phone earlier. I remember that. That was funny. (laughs) (laughs) It was like the worst thing. Different generations. Yeah. Yeah. So eventually he was given permission from the hospital to study the effects of expired air on humans. And he conducted this research on patients as they woke from anesthesia, which triggered so many questions for me. (laughs) How did he ever get permission? (laughs) Did the patients know? (laughs) He just got permission from the hospital. (laughs) If not, did any of them wake up mid mouth seal as Dr. Elam exhaled into their lungs? (laughs) Can you imagine waking up from, you go to get your like appendix removed and you wake up to a man (laughs) with his lips wrapped around yours blowing into you? What? It's for research. (laughs) It's okay. 
I'm a scientist. Don't, yeah, don't be so selfish. I don't care what you are. <laughs> that wasn't my yeah. first question. Get off. <laughs> it turns out the experiments were all carried out on informed patients. But before I read that part, uh, I just, so many questions. I assumed that he just went and did it. And there oh, were not a lot of checks and balances back then. Well, there, <laughs> turns out there were some. Some. But even then, the way that he did these experiments is he anesthetized and paralyzed the people and then ventilated their lungs through mouth to mouth. So still, <laughs> he got volunteers for this. Okay. Hey, can I inject you with something that will completely paralyze yeah. you? And then to keep you alive, I'm just going to breathe mouth to mouth. <laughs> you won't be dead per se. How do you define death? Yeah. How really? do you define alive? <laughs> what is death? <laughs> what is that? I'll give you 50 bucks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, either way, you win. You get 50 bucks or you cease living and it's not a problem anymore. <laughs> but I, I don't know if I want that. Yeah. Everyone's 50 bucks. 50 That's not bucks, what I meant. Though. I'm just going to inject you. So Dr. Alam's experiments were a huge success. Yeah. He demonstrated that even minimally trained people could do this technique, and it was accepted by the American Medical Association in 1958. Wow! During these experiments, Dr. Elam teamed up with Peter Safar, and they would work together on improving these methods of keeping people alive. Teamwork. It was relatively easy to see that somebody isn't breathing. Yeah. It's harder to tell that their heart has stopped. Oh, I'd say, yeah. So the same year that mouth-to-mouth -mouth resuscitation was accepted by the American Medical Association, preliminary experiments showed the feasibility of artificially circulating blood using chest compressions. Okay. So there's a team of doctors, including a man by the name of Guy Knickerbocker. <laughs> if you're hiding from someone, you have chosen the most obviously fake name ever created. <laughs> what's your name? Guy. Oh. Well, what's your last name? Knickerbocker. If you don't want to tell me your name, just yeah. don't tell me your name. Don't be an asshole. Just <laughs> sorry. <laughs> So they were conducting experiments on dogs testing defibrillation. Yeah. Sidebar, mini sidebar, mm. not a big one. Mini mm. sidebar on fibrillation. Oh, yeah. Because I keep hearing defibrillation, defibrillation and defibrillator. I'm like, what? what's being, what's, what's being deed? Yeah. What's a fibrillation? <laughs> what are you getting and what are you subtracting? Right. So ventricular fibrillation is caused by disorganized electrical activity in the heart. So mm. it results in a kind of jittery stuttering of the heart instead of the concentrated contractions. Okay. And it's generally caused by heart disease, including inflammation of the heart. And it can also be caused by electrolyte imbalance, drug overdose, and major trauma, such as drowning. Which mm. is going to come up again, so keep that in mind. Okay. That's fib fibrillation. Fibrillation. Yeah. yeah. So one way to get the heart beating again is to defibrillate it mm. by applying an electrical pulse to the heart through electrodes placed on the chest. Yeah. Those are like the paddles. Sure. Clear, you know. We've all seen it. Yeah. The electrical charge hits the sinoatrial node, which is like where the pacemaker cells are in the heart. Right. Those are just cells that automatically, if you are if you want to go real deep, I can talk your ear off about <laughs> how that works because yeah. I used to study cells oh, okay, and how they okay. depolarize. Anyway, they, de they spontaneously depolarize and then that signal propagates through the heart and causes the rest of the cell to contract. Hmm. And that's why your heart beats. Right. How does it restart the heart? Not entirely clear. Okay, it's just like shaking your head, like <laughs> basically. Like yeah. It's just it, uh, to this day, not entirely sure why it restarts the heart. Mm. Someone at some point, somebody was just like, "Can we restart it <laughs> with an electrical <laughs> shock?" <laughs> Someone like me who just wants right. to nuke everything. Restart it. Restart it with a nuke. Yeah, but electricity. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Interestingly, I think it's the same kind of thing with electroshock therapy. Oh, uh, you restart like, your brain. <laughs> well, it's but hmm. it, I I, th I think it's not exactly underststood why it works, but right. it does it it does it has proven positive effects, and it's still a, it's yeah. Still I've a heard therapy. that it's not it's been demonized, but it's, it shouldn't be. It shouldn't it's, be. It's an actual it's it's an actual 
legitimate treatment therapy. that is beneficial to right, the patients. Right. But anyway, that's another one where it's not surprising because we don't really know how the brain works. Uh-huh. And it also raises some questions. Who was the first person that was like, ah, fucking shock it, I guess? <laughs> <laughs> Did you try shocking it? Yeah. <laughs> You didn't? Why would I do that? Maybe we should. So while experimenting with defibrillation on dogs, this team noticed that the simple compression of the electrodes on the dog's chest would generate a pulse. So Mm -hmm. just pressing down on the chest with these paddles would actually cause a pulse to be registered. It's like sans Without any shock. It's just the pressure. Yeah. But this is the first time they made the connection of, oh, if we push on the chest, we can artificially generate a pulse. Oh, okay. The first successful trial on 20 cases was reported in 1960, and I guess this is on people. 14 of the patients recovered and were discharged from the hospital. Hey. So 14 out of 20. The technique was formally called external cardiac massage. This is to contrast it from a resuscitative thoracotomy. Sure. Also known as cracking the chest or the thought that always makes my heart feel icky. (laughs) I don't know if you've heard about this technique. They basically make an incision in your side, Uh crack your ribs, Uh and then massage your heart manually. I've heard of the heart massage. That's this. Didn't realize it involved busting your rib yeah. cage open. It's literally, it's going in through the side, between your ribs, cracking uh, them open. That's what it's called. ribs are in the way. <laughs> Basically. more. Yeah. And then grabbing your heart and pumping it, like oh. Kano style. <laughs> from right, Mortal right. Kombat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Except I imagine they don't pull it out of you. Well, the temptation is always there, I'm sure. Like, <laughs> I could pull this guy's You, it's, it's in there. <laughs> yeah. If there's a doctor who the was power. like a kid in the 90s <laughs> yeah. and he had to do oh, this technique. Finishing move. Right. <laughs> just in the back of his mind. Yeah. It's, it's a terrible traumatic situation because you're trying to keep this patient alive. <laughs> but you know, in the back of his mind, he's like, finish him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <clears throat> I hope not. I hope not. But, but probably. We would. Yeah. That's why time. we're not heart surgeons. <laughs> Eventually, these aspects would come together. The mouth-to-mouth and the compressions uh-huh. would come together in what are known as the ABCs also known as airway, breathing, and circulation, to form part of what is now known as cardiopulmonary resuscitation, CPR. CPR. There you got a brief history of CPR. Thanks. But the history of resuscitating people isn't all nose-blowing babies and massaging hearts. (laughs) In an article titled, A Brief History of the Methods of Resuscitation of the Apparently Drowned, published in (laughs) the Journal of Johns Hopkins Hospital Bulletin in Uh 1918, Uh they described earlier attempts at resuscitation. (laughs) In 1767, the Society for the Recovery of Drowned Persons established in the Netherlands came up with seven recommendations. I'll go through them. Okay. One, warming the victim. Two, removing swallowed water by positioning the victim's head lower than their feet. So far, so good. Three, applying manual pressure to the abdomen. Four, release air into the victim's mouth. Five, tickling the victim's throat. Mm. Six, using a bellows to pump tobacco smoke into the intestine of the victim through the anus. And seven, (coughs) bloodletting. Oh, did... Did you number? Did number six stand out to you? No, okay. yeah, those all are completely normal, especially six and seven. So six was using a bellows to pump tobacco smoke into the intestine of the victim through the anus. <laughs> number seven was bloodletting, and we only ha- like this is trying to be a mini episode, so I'm going to put bloodletting aside for a second. <laughs> I want to focus on six for a second. All so right. smoke as a healing factor uh-huh. goes away back. So Hippocrates suggested inhaling smoke as a treatment for women's problems. Sure. Probably didn't help too much during the plague of Athens. So he would have been alive during <laughs> yeah. that. And if you want to yeah. check that out, episode one. Yeah. After the Europeans' discovery of the new world, there was a general importation of plants and animals and culture from the new world to Europe. And this was known as the Columbian Exchange. Okay. Not to be confused with cash for cocaine phenomenon that would show up in the 80s. Oh. From actual Columbia. That's different. In the States. That's, <laughs> That's a different, different Columbian, Columbian exchange. exchange. <laughs> Europe got tobacco. And the new world got smallpox. Oh. So everyone's a winner, yeah. I guess. If you want to hear how that went, smallpox in Mexico, episode six. Yep. That went real well. Covered. In 1560, Jean-Nicot de Villemay introduced tobacco to France, and he was a diplomat 
who brought seeds back from a mission to Portugal. All right. And the plant was actually named after him. Nicotiana tabacum, <laughs> also known as nicotine. Uh-huh. Jean Nico. Jean Nico. Nicotine. That's where you get that name. It makes you look cool. <laughs> <laughs> so tobacco was again believed to have many healing properties. It was sure. particularly interesting in an era when humanity was grasping for anything that would help them not die. Because mm-hmm. this is right around the time that the Black Death was still floating around. Okay. This is still the 1500s. Black Death showed up in like 1347, right. but it didn't really go away until like the 1700s. It dwindled. It dwindled, but right. it kept coming back like we talked about. Yeah, and yeah. It'll it'll be back <laughs> on this podcast. Uh, but if you want to hear yeah. how it went the first time around, Black Death episodes 13 and 14. Yeah. Check that out. Mm-hmm. So it was used to treat anything from headaches to stomach problems and sometimes even cancer. Sure. Although <laughs> maybe they didn't smoke. They didn't make that to connection. treat the cancer. <laughs> <laughs> maybe they didn't make that connection. Yet, Not so. quite. In a time when medicine still relied heavily on the idea of humors, mm-hmm. tobacco was the silver bullet of remedies. <laughs> Any problem could be solved by tobacco by just resetting the humors. It was perfect. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's also interesting that Hippocrates identified the humors in 450 BC. And they're still leaning on that 2,000 years later Mm -hmm. in like the 1500s, right? Mm -hmm. So really, medicine is (laughs) so new. (laughs) If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Sure. (laughs) It was already kind of broke, though. Well, what do you mean? If you're feeling bad, that's because there's a toad that lives in your brain and... Yeah. The smoke will let it out. <laughs> right. We know alarmingly little about anything. <laughs> you know what I mean? Not Relatively to, so, yeah. Not to not to rag on doctors know exactly what they're doing, but even then you think about it and a hundred years from now, medicine is going to look completely different. Yeah. It's going to look arcane. And this also, thinking about these scales also, again, makes me think about how 2,000 years ago, 2,000 years before this story... Mm-hmm. There was an empire that Hippocrates was a part of doing research on medicine. And there were empires that existed like hundreds and thousands of years before the Greek. And mm-hmm. they were all sophisticated in their own way mm-hmm. and big and sprawling. Mm-hmm. And they all crumbled and fell. So, today, But we'll be fine. This is the one that works. This is the one where, yeah, we nailed yeah. it. So Richard Mead was an English physician who lived from 1673 to 1754, just after the era of the Great Fire of London, which yeah. we talked about in episode three. <laughs> Subtle little tie in there. <laughs> okay, that one was excessive, but look, you know uh, how this goes. You know, you know. We tie it all in. To. Yeah, we do. So, among other things, he wrote a treatise about his belief that when the Bible spoke of people being afflicted by demons, hmm. it meant that those people were simply suffering of illnesses, mm-hmm. which is kind of revolutionary at the time. Yeah. So, demonic possession in the Bible just meant that those people were sick. Right. That was published posthumously. Mm. So I'm not sure exactly how burned to death he would have been. Right. But (laughs) probably at least a little. Yeah. Yeah. He also published extensively about disease and its prevention. And he was instrumental in understanding transmissible diseases. Maybe someone could have pointed uh, Mary Madeline in his direction. Uh huh. When we talked about Typhoid Mary. Yeah. In episode 23. (laughs) (laughs) Binge our podcast. Another clip show. I've, 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 we've gotten feedback that people appreciate all the tie-ins. They like to know where we are in history and things that we've talked about. There so I'm go. just going to provide that. We for hear you. that and we're giving it back. Yeah, we're just giving it to you. I appreciate your time. So most notably for our purposes, in 1745, Richard Mead, who we're talking about, was likely the first Western medical scholar to recommend tobacco smoke enemas as a means of <laughs> resuscitating drowning victims. <laughs> the first and last. I well, hope. <laughs> we're getting to the meat of this episode. Yeah, it's uh, a short one, but the yeah. butt meat. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Gross. In case 
case you're worried that this was purely theoretical or metaphorical, <laughs> in 1746... I'm so worried. <laughs> in 1746, a passing sailor came across a husband panicking over the lifeless body of his drowned wife. The sailor <laughs> recommended so. that the husband give the wife a tobacco smoke enema. <laughs> So the husband inserted the mouthpiece of the sailor's pipe into his wife's rectum, <laughs> put a piece of porous paper over the bowl, and blew. And apparently the woman came to and recovered. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. just pic- picture that. Pic- I'm not sure there's a direct correlation between A and B. It's just sort of just, a, yeah. what I would call a rude awakening. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you could have put anything in her ass? Uh, yeah, okay. like, yeah. That's the kind of thing that'll smarten you right up. Yeah. Whoa! <laughs> All right, I'm up. Also, I'm not sure if I, I picture this happening in the morning. Sailors coming back from like a night of drinking. <laughs> yeah. Dude, my wife's my wife's drowning. What do I do? <laughs> Stick this in her ass. Yeah, I know exactly. Take this fucking bro. To his friend, he's like, "Watch what I'm gonna make this guy." Do. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so just stick it in her ass? She has to blow smoke out of it. Okay, like I, I gotta go blow through the pipe. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's okay. gonna work. It's like a doctor told me how to do that. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> that doesn't sound. Yeah, don't be, don't be. It's kind of gross. Do you want the pipe back? <laughs> <laughs> of course, I want the pipe back. <laughs> So the Royal Humane Society is a British charity that works to bring awareness to life-saving methodologies. And in 1780, they installed resuscitation kits containing smoke enemas all <laughs> along the River Thames. And they consisted of kits. a nozzle. Yep. Yeah. Like, you know how you have a defibrillator now? Uh-huh. You had <laughs> butt smoke kits all along the Thames. Sounds like some weird video game. Right? Something. No, it's not, though. Like, here's a health station. No, it's for blowing... <laughs> okay. What? You played Half-Life, right? Yeah. Can you imagine, you know those like little things that you'd like plug into and they make that sound and they regenerate your yeah, health? Yeah, yeah, Can you yeah. imagine like instead you take that hose, put it Okay, in well, I'm low on health. And do what you got to do. So these, these kits consisted of a nozzle to be connected to the anus, a fumigator in which to place the burning tobacco, and a bellows to stoke the flame and push smoke into the rectum. I'm just doing the actions uh-huh. right now. Like that could really damage you. Yep. <laughs> take a take a minute on your phone or at home to look up a bellows and I'll picture someone working that. <laughs> like in- really working it. <laughs> like don't be shy. Really work that bellows. <laughs> you know what? You want to save this it. life? You care about your wife? <laughs> you crank that bellows. Oh, God. Eventually, tobacco was mixed with water to be used in liquid tobacco enemas to treat various conditions. <laughs> One account tells of a person suffering from chronic convulsions, uh-huh. and a liquid tobacco enema apparently cured him of the convulsions. <laughs> But it also resulted in vomiting, diarrhea, and profuse sweating. <laughs> so, and there's also no word on whether he started convulsing again. Yes. So maybe got no time to convulse right now. Maybe it was just a, the nozzle of a tobacco pump up your ass that just <laughs> snaps you out of it for a second. Be like, whoa, whoa, what are you doing? Yeah, and then you just back to convulsing. I knew it. Yeah. You're fine. In 1811, the practice of tobacco smoke enemas was abruptly halted. <laughs> so there's an English physiologist and also a big deal, named Sir Benjamin Collins Brody. For example, Henry Gray dedicated his work, Gray's Anatomy, that was published in 1858, to Collins Brody. Is that what the show is based on? That's what the name's based on. Oh, okay. So it's an anatomical textbook that's still used in med school. Oh. Gray's Anatomy. So major, like... It's been revised Med since... school nerds get the reference, and yeah. everyone else is like... Yeah. Right now, show. someone's... Maybe someone's listening to this podcast while sweating over Gray's Anatomy, learning their nerves or something the book the book not the show not the show you don't have to learn the show for med school no and besides if you're watching shows for med school just watch scrubs it's way better than Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> and what's the other one house house yeah and what's house the other good. one it's like a amsterdam 
Amsterdam. So he conducted, ben, uh, Benjamin Collins Brody, conducted animal experiments using tobacco smoke enemas. Okay. And he discovered that nicotine, named after the French diplomat, Jean Nicot, Nicot. a century earlier, yeah. was a heart poison. Oh, did, did he? Yeah. It's in this stuff anyway. Oh, yeah. poison. Oh, good. Yeah. yeah. So in unison, <laughs> Europe threw their tobacco smoke enema kits over their shoulders and forever stopped blowing smoke up asses. <laughs> At least. Literally. So if you've ever wondered why a bullshitter blows smoke up your ass, <laughs> they're saying something that was dubious from the beginning and will be proven wrong sooner or later. Or they think you're drowning and they're trying to revive you. Uh-huh. But either way, <laughs> this is where blowing smoke up your ass comes from. That's really the actual thing. thing. Yeah. My God. <laughs> <laughs> Don't blow smoke up my ass. If from... I look like I'm drowning. <laughs> <laughs> That's the comeback what? from now on. <laughs> yeah. If anybody ever like blow smoke up my yeah. ass, do I look like I'm drowning? Anything? And they're going to be like, like, what the fuck are you <laughs> talking about? Peter is weird. <laughs> <laughs> I'll lose even more friends. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I feel like that was a short one, but and, and that's what I meant. It, it's not a disaster per se, but we've talked about like uh, medieval medicine, <laughs> and we've talked about this. Se- this seems very relevant to a lot of the stuff we talk about. Yeah, you could make a case for that being a disaster <laughs> <laughs> to the point where there were kits <laughs> set up everywhere. I just have an image of. <laughs> It being fairly commonplace, walking along the River Thames <laughs> and just seeing a lifeless corpse <laughs> with a hose attached to its yeah. ass and someone stomping on a bellows. <laughs> oh, yeah, we use the footing. <laughs> Don't you die on me! <laughs> <laughs> Their stomachs just <laughs> blowing Smoke up. Like coming a out their nose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. People okay. are weird. Yep. Good thing we got it all sorted out now. Yeah. Well, <laughs> now we figured it out. Yeah. Now, now we we're... shock the heart. Why? Doesn't matter. Doesn't Don't matter. worry about it. Clear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how do you how do you know that works? J- it just don't. You know what? What you know? Watch TV shows. Yeah. That's what they do. Yeah. Clear. Beep. <laughs> so music for me. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know why it's taken me so long to get to this band, right. but I'm going to talk about a band that I know that we both love. Dream Shell. Oh yeah. From Ottawa, Ontario. Who's the drummer in that band? No. It's a machine for the album. Okay. And it's me when they play live. Yeah. <laughs> so they're an Ottawa dream pop duo from our hometown of Ottawa. I should say Ottawa a few more times. I've only said it three times. We're from Ottawa. We're, Ottawa. Pro- we're podcasting Ottawa. and broadcasting Ottawa. from Ottawa. Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. Hey. Capital Canada. So yeah, I, I drum in them uh, in, the, in that band when they play live. Uh, the album is Unconnector from 2019. Yeah. And the song that I picked is You Can Cry, which is also a single of theirs. It's like the favorite. first song of theirs that I heard. My favorite. So good. So good. Part of the reason I picked this is that I feel like we don't mention enough local music, maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Good point. Thought I'd bring that in the fold. Also, it's an amazing band, and like I was mm-hmm. a huge fan of them before they even asked me to Yeah, Peter's in the band, but like, I mean... They're the band. You are their drummer. Yeah. They, exactly. They do everything. I, do, I, have, I have nothing... If anything, I'm an impediment to their creative process. <laughs> <laughs> no. And one of them is actually, uh, one of them is Eric, also known as Blank Sun, who does the theme music for this podcast. That's right. And we've talked about him before. Yeah. So check out Dream Shell and Blank Sun. And the other reason that I picked this song is because there's a line in it that says, I wish I was Iggy Pop smoking like a chimney top. Oh, there it is. Which <laughs> conjures the image of someone working a bellows, pumping <laughs> yeah. smoke into a corpse's ass. Yeah. Careful with puffs of smoke for. coming out the mouth. <laughs> yeah. That's blown smoke up your ass, and that's a tragedy, too. So. Uh, very educational. <laughs> there you go. So thanks for joining us. If you want to help us out, like I said at the top, the best thing you can do is tell someone to listen. Grab a friend and blow some smoke up their ass. <laughs> <laughs> do it. Yeah, hopefully they haven't drowned. Just yeah. just blow smoke up their yes. ass. And while you're blowing smoke up the ass, be like, this is a disaster. <laughs> Whisper it like that. Yeah. Maximum creepy. 
There go all our listeners. Uh, if you want us, the next best thing you can do, subscribe, leave a review wherever you listen. That's super helpful. If you want to follow us on social medias, at This Disaster Pod, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, check out our website, www.thisdisasterpod.com for all of this information and all of our episodes, etc. And also, we've got a Patreon set up now, patreon.com slash thisdisasterpod. We've got one donation tier, but if we meet our donation goal, we're going to release some sweet new bonus content. Mm-hmm. So check all of that out and join us for our next major disaster. Please do. Bye. Bye.